the real world is what goes on after you leave church. And the church is brought into, brought into that as well. And so half the church says, well, what do you want to hear so that I can make you feel comfortable? So you don't have to deal with anything. We're just going to ask God to sugarcoat everything and then help us survive on this earth. And then when we die, we go into the precious moment. God has another angel in heaven and all that crap. The biggest breakthrough to freedom is beginning to be disillusioned with what the world has to offer. doesn't mean everything of the world is bad. just doesn't taste as good as Jesus. And you can even go, well, I tasted Jesus and it was a mixed bag. And I wrote my book, Broken for Good. Actually, some people bought it this weekend. That was really cool. Um, I wrote it because I was so tired of hearing testimony of us. I lived a miserable life. I got divorced and I did all this. And then I met Jesus and life was perfect. And I went, that's not the world I grew up in. There are a lot of people who said yes to Jesus and their lives were totally messed up or they just were too scared to do anything so they did nothing and this whole Christian world is a, is a mixed bag of stuff some's redeemed some's being redeemed some will be redeemed in other words we're a work in progress and that's the most encouraging word we can ever have we have a friend in God who has revealed himself as a savior who says I have come to help you come with me follow me and our greatest battle is actually doing the following we tend to go Jesus please bless me I'm going to do what I like but I'm so glad you're gracious and then when we've done the cons- and that we get consequences for the things we do on our own and we say well I did pray we're not following we're playing this religious game and we hate religion but we love to be religious because religious means I kind of talk about God but I do whatever I want and this none of this is in my script for today and I don't know why on earth I'm doing this but what I'm trying to I guess passionately is welling up in me is this thing of coming to terms with God's ways aren't our ways but his richness and his grace and his goodness is the only thing that's going to ultimately satisfy and some of us get hold of that early some of us never get hold of that some of us just get cynical some of us wish it was like that and the reason we do things like alpha the reason we do things like church is to gather together and help each other say for god's sake be real if it's not real for you and it's not working then say so you're not going to be shot but there might be reasons why it's not real it might be no it's not real because you can't live together and sleep together and do whatever you want to do and still know the blessing of god i'm sorry but i'm never going to say that to you like that i'm serious i'm not because people are terrified they've been so wounded and abused that's the last thing they need to hear they need to find Jesus and what happens is Jesus says that in a much much more kind way and he brings things up and so you often hear about people who come to Jesus they go I think we'll get married that's the kind of church I want to be proud of because I know not everybody here is in a kosher relationship I'm not stupid but I know Jesus will lead us to those places and it's not just relationship oh goodness me it's our family life it's our professional life it's our personal life it's our private life there's all kinds of layers and that's why I had the block here and the statue here and said God is carving us and making us into something we're not and he's calling us that way. So when you read the Beatitudes, which are the, as I always twin them to the Ten Commandments, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and everybody goes, I can't even keep them. And then the Beatitudes are the same. I can't keep these things. They're ridiculous. Nice for Jesus and the disciples, but the disciples couldn't keep them either. So you say, well, why would God sit there on the mount and tell us all the things that we can't do? And the thing is that what we very often read about God and Jesus and we miss the whisper of his spirit that comes with it because he kind of talks and sings in harmony. And so when he's saying these things and he's saying these things about blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and those who mourn, as we talked about last week, are those who grieve over my inability to do what is right. Paul says, you know, some Christians, they teach such rubbish. They teach, Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do and what I don't want to do, I do. And some teach that, well, he, he meant that before he was a Christian. And when he became a Christian, of course, that falls away because it's not true anymore, which is rubbish. 
When you become a Christian, it's like you're a sperm and an egg. You conceive. We all know the only thing we really will agree upon is conception into Christianity is not perfection. I mean, if you don't, if you doubt that, look at Diana, or look at me, and then look in the mirror. The good news is a God who loves us says, "I know who you are, but man, I love you." If you who are evil know how to restore a bit of broken furniture, how much more can I restore you? But you can't get restoration if you never admit to needing it. So how do you admit to needing it? Well, God says, these are my commandments. How are you doing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Let's start there. I feel like I'm in that, that uh, clip on the, you know, the guy chiseling. Let's start there. Um, no, I can't love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my spirit. Well, I guess you're going to hell then. Because only people who are perfect can come into my kingdom because in my kingdom is purity and love. and It's the nature of my kingdom. So it doesn't matter how much I love you. This was the problem with Eden. It doesn't matter how much I love you. The fact that you've sinned and you're separate from me, you're now infected. Cheryl always says to me, this is embarrassing. He says, you're always rubbing your nose and then you're giving communion. You need to wash your hands. So remind me to do that. All right. So I'm always getting nagged on that. So I go over here. Why? Because I've got germs on my hands and I disinfect. Now, this is the work of the cross. Thank you, Cheryl. See the things that go on in the background that you have no clue about, that you're thinking maybe, and I wish somebody would tell him. I mean, he just doesn't remember all the time. But God comes and says, I will disinfect you by my son because it's only when you've been washed that you can come into my presence. It's not because I don't love you. just because I don't want anything in my presence. My presence is pure. It's not about God being a miserable judge. It's just the nature of his kingdom and the nature of his presence. It cannot come in. It's like a disinfected zone. And so he sent Jesus to make a way for us to become close to him again by disinfecting us with the blood of, of, of Jesus, which is like taking our sin, taking our dirtiness, taking our willfulness, taking our selfishness. So he says, look at the Ten Commandments. What they are and what these blessed are the poor in spirit and the one we're doing today is blessed are the meek. What they are... He said, this is who I am. I'm actually showing you what a human being looks like that's filled with my spirit. A person who is filled with my spirit as I created. Adam and Eve, before they got broken, that's what they liked. The Ten Commandments were their description. And they would have been surprised. And said, oh, I didn't know that was required. We just do this stuff. And the blessed are our description as well of Jesus. They're a description of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is working in us. So if you want to know how you're doing with God, you read these things. You will find that most people who don't know God think they're quite good. Oh, I don't kill people. Um, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I, I, I give money to the poor, which usually means a pittance. You know the story. And God says, in my, in my kingdom, with my values, you're dead. And there will be a time. I don't usually preach fire and brimstone. There will be a time where you will be judged. And there will be a time where who is Lord and God will be clear. The difference between some of us and Jesus is that sometimes we want to always condemn everybody and go, yep, your time's coming, you better watch it. Whereas God is going, not yet, they're still out there. God's heart breaks over the sinner. God's heart breaks over those who don't know him. We get into judgment really quickly and smugness. Well, I'm fine. And Jesus says, you remember that saying I said that many will come to me and they said I did this and I didn't know you? Because his heart is love and compassion and servanthood. And so we have this, uh, this passage or this phrase, and I better get back to this, but I want to try and encourage us that these Beatitudes are not to be taught as weights to bear. You better do this otherwise. They're invitations 
and there are actually descriptions where Jesus says, this is what it looks like if you're a follower of mine. You are poor in spirit. Why? Because when you're poor in spirit, you're going, Jesus is the one who does stuff. i just the carrier. I'm a container through which the kingdom of God flows when I allow him to. And it's amazing even that I have to say that when I allow him to. Imagine that. But I have that freedom. That is the freedom of Jesus. That's why we're not a cult. That's why we're not this religious thing because the doors are open. Anybody can leave at any time. And those who, are, who mourn are those who begin to look. I look, as Paul says, at what I do and what I don't want to do and I go, oh God, when will I f- be more pure? When will I be more unselfish? When will I be more generous? And he goes, you know, the fact that you're even saying it is an evidence of my spirit. The fact that you're beginning to wrestle with it is evidence of my spirit. The fact that you're aware of the discrepancy between who I am and who you are not is the beginning of healing and hope. So don't be discouraged. When that happens, Satan comes along and says, yeah, you see what you like, you, and he accuses. What God does is he reveals in order to set free. And so he talks about this, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Who are the weak? What is the weak? Now I've got some notes for you. Blessed, apparently, is Aramaic, and it means, it means, what does it mean? It means that we would be able to experience the joy of Jesus now on earth, not just in heaven. So there's a sense of, oh, how blessed I am now because I am poor in spirit. How blessed I am now because of my meekness. You see, what happiness the world offers us happiness. Do you know what happiness is? You know what a hap means? It's derived from a word called hap, which means chance. And the root word and meaning of happiness is I'm looking for the chances to be happy, but it's all random. Whereas God's talking about a joy that comes from the inside that's rooted somewhere far beyond that. The Reader's Digest uh, Oxford Complete Word Finder describes Meekness as tame, timid, mild, bland, unambitious, retiring, weak, docile, acquiescent, repressed, suppressed, spiritless, broken, and wimpish. That's the world's view of being, of being meek. The difference between a meek person and a weak person is this. A weak person cannot do anything. A meek person, on the other hand, can do something but chooses not to. William Barclay said this, Oh, the bliss of the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct and impulse and passion under control because he himself is God-controlled, who has the humility to relate, release, realize his own ignorance and his own weakness, for such a man is a king among men. As Tish said, uh, it's, it's power under control. They often use the image of a horse I'm not sure I like that image because the image of the horse is one that's been broken forcibly. And God invites us into a place where he says, I will make you meek as you actually learn how to surrender. I think a a humbling uh, example of meekness actually was present here this week in uh, Bishop Yong and his wife Julia and Archbishop Kalini. You hear the stories of these men and women. Uh, where they have traveled with Jesus into places that have caused huge resistance, huge uh, rejection. Um, 
Probably the most powerful talk I think of this week was given by Archbishop Kalini talking about his journey out of the Rwandan genocide and following Jesus out of, out of the genocide and into uh, Uganda under Idi Amin. And when I was in Uganda in Kampala, they're these big, they look like vultures. Um, they fly around and they, they eat garbage. And uh, Micah, who I was with, I said, these birds are awful. They just look like these undertakers. And they're everywhere. And, he, and, and I read, I think, they said, those birds, they came from Lake Victoria. They used to be in Lake Victoria. But when Idi Amin was killing so many people, they came in and foraged off the dead bodies lying around. And they've never left Kampala. And, the, and the, he talked, uh, Archbishop Pellini talked about his family and he talked about relatives and he talked about people being killed and a, a, wife, uh, a wife whose husband was killed murdering, uh, marrying the murderer eventually. And when she was asked about it, she said, he was that man, but in Jesus he became a new creation and I married a new man. And the stories that come out of Africa are humbling just to the extreme. When, when uh, Kalini was asked to come back to, uh, to Rwanda, he said to his wife, he stood up here and said, he sa- I said, Frida, are you prepared to be a widow? And she said, yes. And so we went back to Rwanda. And they come among us, and I do wonder sometimes the cost he was talking about, the following Jesus. talked about Paul going to Rome, and he said the only way Paul could go to Rome and really spread the gospel of Jesus was to be suffering and imprisoned. And how God used Paul's suffering in his prison to basically spread the word of his love through the Praetorian Guard and get to Rome and begin to infect the people around. See, God's ways are not our ways. And we come to a place where we start saying, Jesus, I just want you to use me for the rest of my life, whatever it is. The Beatitudes are, all of the Beatitudes are words that are spoken about how do I come across to others and how do I serve others. What bore witness to people who visited Jericho Road this week is the ladies serving with freedom, with joy, with smiles. It always is that way. There are other stories, but we won't go into them right now. But meekness is not weak. Meekness is the lion and the lamb. And that's why I I went to the reading in, uh, in Matthew 26, where Jesus is facing his persecutors. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the day, of the people. The betrayer had arranged the signal, the one I kiss is the man to arrest. (coughs) Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. I wonder what really happened at that moment. I think what happened. Because you see... People do this, they, they teach this and they say, well, G- Judas was predestined to go to hell and he betrayed Jesus, so to hell with Judas. We do it so quickly, the judgment in our spirits. And just before that, Jesus had broken bread and he had given some to Judas and said, do what you have to do. But I don't think G- Jesus said that with any sense of, do what you have to do, go to hell. He was meek. And when Judas came to him and kissed him, Jesus was very aware he was being betrayed. I think there were tears in his eyes and said, you have been so captive right now. You are so captured by your own agenda or the agenda of others, you don't even realize you're being used. So when you kiss me, I'm not really receiving it. I'm kind of blessing you. 
but do what you have to do. See, meekness is having the power to do things and not doing it. So later, Jesus, well, right then, Jesus uh, is, is uh, in, in a situation where Peter, with all his passion again, has got a sword. The guy comes, he lops off his ear. And he thought Jesus might have gone, ear, ear. That was not very funny. He thought Jesus might have said, you brave man, you courageous man, look what you did. Because you said that you would stand by me. But Peter had forgotten, blessed are the meek. And he goes, Jesus, they're coming to arrest you and take you away. I'm going to defend you. And he says, when you've cut off his ear, what are you going to do then? Cut off his head and then what are you going to do? I'm still going to be arrested. Because I'm on a bigger mission than just saving you or working this out in the garden. I'm on a bigger mission that actually affects all of humanity of which you have no idea. Which is worthwhile bearing in mind when we're talking to God about our lives. There's a bigger picture. It's not just about us and yet it is all about us. That's the paradox. You see, Peter takes that sword out and I love this illustration. He takes the sword out and he knocks his ear off and Jesus says, well, he heals the man. But the presumption of Jesus is if I have a sword, I'm meant to use it. And blessed are the meek says, if you have a sword, you're meant to lay it down. And our presumption and the why we love the world in which we live and why it so often gets us away is our presumption is if we have it in hand, it's ours. And God says, if you have it in hand, I'm entrusting you with something because I want to see how you use it. And it is more powerful for you, Peter, to see them coming and laying down that sword than to use it. It is more powerful for you to get that money and give it away than to say it's mine. It's more powerful, anything that is entrusted to you, to begin to say why and not merely say, well, it's obvious. It's not in the kingdom. We're going through these readings because we talk about a kingdom mindset. This is what it looks like. And you say, well, how do you do that? And you say, the same way as Peter learned. How did Peter learn? He stepped out and he got rebuked and then he learned. Sometimes our problem is we step out, we get rebuked and we go to another church. We step out and we get rebuked and we sulk. We step out and we get rebuke and we kill the messenger. It happens all the time. And then we say we mature. And you go, you're not mature, you haven't even got out of nursery. Because your ego is so intact. It's not the worst thing in the world to make a mistake. At least you tried. But you keep on making the mistake, you're just stupid. But lesson of the meek is something that the Holy Spirit has to work up in us. And Jesus is the best example because what happens? These guys come to him. They come to take him away. And he says, I could have, did you not know I could have called down 12,000 legions of angels? Now that's power. 12,000 legions of angels. Imagine, how many is a legion? A hundred? I'm not sure. I'm asking a genuine question. I'm modeling humility and ignorance. How much is a, a, a legion? A thousand? So 12,000 is a lot. It, actually 6,000. We've got it from the guru in the front. All right. According to your notes. Well, we'll have to look at what your source is really. And we, never mind, I'm ceasing you. Um, 6,000 is a good number. And it's uh, how many? 12? How, how many legions? It was a lot. 12, 12 legions. 12 legions. So 6 times 12 is? 72. 72,000 legions. 72,000 angels to come and deal with a hundred, maybe maybe 25 guys. That's power and authority. 
And that's like these guys standing and saying, look what we're going to do with you. You've got this massive army behind them. And he says, I choose not to set them on you. That's what meekness is. Meekness is knowing the power and authority you have and using it only in the service of God. Not for your own convenience at that moment because you will be blessed and set free in a way that's actually temporary anyway. Well, I I went on this diatribe and now we've run out of time. So I'm going to actually stop there because I think you got the point. So how are you you and I going to grow in meekness? You know, one of the ways we're going to grow in meekness is learning who we are, as Diana gave witness to, learning who we are, learning actually, you know, we talk about making declarations, we talk about all that stuff. It's learning that we have authority and we have power and we have an identity in Jesus that is way beyond our understanding even. But it starts with the words that we speak and what comes out of us. How quickly do you react to things? How quickly do you try and change your circumstances? How quickly do you rebuke? How quickly do you flex your muscles? And I'm not just talking about publicly. There's some people who are extroverted and there are other people who are introverted. So you can look really meek but not be at all meek. Or you could look really passionate and be very meek because all you're doing is saying, Jesus, whatever you need. Paul was a meek man. Moses was a meek man. You discover meekness by discovering yourself in relationship to others. So let's reflect on that. I, I, I thought this was a beautiful song that came out of Hillsong and I thought as we go into communion, you know, what I'm trying to encourage us to do is just say, Jesus, what I'm trying to encourage us to do is keep looking in the mirror. I mean, you look in the mirror, most of you by the look of it, you looked in the mirror this morning and you did something about what you saw because it wasn't pretty. You look in the mirror and I absolutely believe that the physical things are spiritual truths. You look in the mirror, you have a shower, you do what you need to do, right? To make yourself as presentable as you think you should be. And the same is true spiritually. When you're getting too proud, or you're doing, getting too cocky, or you're getting too discouraged, the mirror is the Bible. When you look into it, the trouble is it's so badly taught and so often misinterpreted that we can look in the Bible and think it's condemning us for looking so bad. Like the Bible speaks back to and says, how can you look such a mess when you get up in the morning? But it's reflecting back. I think you need to do something about that attitude. I think, you know, that word you spoke, you need to deal with that. You need to ask forgiveness. You need to work it out. You need to let me teach you how to become what you're not yet. That's what this is all about. So here's a song. Reflect on it. Ask God what he's saying to you this morning. And it's going to be a loving challenge, not condemning. But where might meekness be something that you might say, I think I need a bit more of that? I do. Believe it or not, I know that's probably a revelation that shocks you. Let's play it. <laughs>